The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Mark 15, 1-15. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. All right. Thank you, Christina, for reading that. Don't mind me. I'm going to just arrange some furniture here. All right. It's the last sermon in this series in the Gospel of Mark. We've been working our way through this, and it has been a quite a ride. We've, this is uh, 18 sermons. Next week, we're starting a new. Um, it's it's two 10 part series that belong together uh, that we're calling the Life and Law of Moses. And so the first 10 sermons will be. Uh, studies in the book of Exodus on the life of Moses, kind of the narrative part of Exodus. And then following that, we're going to do 10 sermons on the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments. And so that'll get us through uh, the summer. I'm really looking forward to, to getting into all of that and being in some Old Testament. We've been in the Gospels here, which has been great. Uh, before we jump into this, uh, a reminder of, I uh, just want to reiterate something Jonathan said earlier, uh, and that is that next week we're moving to one service Instead of two, which is awesome, guys, we're all going to be in the same room together again. It's going to be good. It's going to be really good. So we're really looking forward to that uh, and feeling really confident that we are um, going to be able to do that in this space in a very uh, safe way uh, and also in a very fun, joyful environment. So that's coming. Um, Sorry, I promise I'm going to stop fidgeting with this in just a moment, but... Here we go. Okay. There's a phenomenon when we read the Bible, when we're introduced to characters in the Bible, where we can, we can kind of turn them into cartoons. 
right? We can, they can kind of be one note or, or two note sort of characters. We, we have several of them in the passage that we just read. Uh, Barabbas is one of them. Uh, I don't know what comes to mind when you think of Barabbas, but he's, you know, he's presented as this person who is supposed to uh, kind of unravel the religious leader's plans to have Jesus crucified um, because Pilate, from his perspective, thinks that he's presenting them with a very obvious choice. Do you want this religious leader whose disciples have abandoned him and has nobody really around him and has never really done anything uh, violent or destructive released? Or do you want this robber and murderer Barabbas released? It's up to you guys. And they pick Barabbas. They pick him because it has nothing to do with Barabbas. But in my mind, you know, like, I remember seeing that movie a long time ago, The Passion of the Christ. Do you remember that movie when it came out? Barabbas is in that, and he's, and he's kind of presented as this very muscular, big, arrogant figure who's just kind of got all the swagger in the world and is asking the crowds to just continue to boo him, you know. And um, I think we do this. We, we, we create these images in our minds of, of people in Scripture uh, we got Noah, you know, waving happily from the deck railing of the ark as he passes by. You have wee little Zacchaeus up in the tree, you know, smiling, and Jesus is smiling in an unnaturally happy way back up at him. And, and uh, Pontius Pilate is one of those for me that, you know, the cartoon version might be the consummate villain, the consummate bad guy twisting the ends of his mustache as he's as he's holding one of those long stem Cruella DeVille cigarettes in his hand, you know, deciding the fate of, of anybody who passes before him. I don't know what your image is of him, but I want us to look at him this morning at Pilate because he's an interesting character in the story. And I guess maybe the thing I would want to say at the outset as we get into this is, so he's the governor of Judea, He's the one who sends Jesus to the cross to be crucified, but he is also one of Jesus' most vocal defenders in the Passion narrative. To the tune that he tries to secure Jesus' release at least four times. Nobody else is interested in doing that, but Pilate is, and he's working hard at it, by the way. Pilate was, I want to be careful because I don't want us to um, love Pontius Pilate, but I want us to, to, to be open to reconsidering perhaps the black and whiteness of how we've thought of him. For this reason, he, Pilate is a middle manager. He is a government employee. He is a rising politician. He is part of the Roman Empire and Rome was an empire that could be very brutal, but they had a very advanced legal system for that time. And we see evidence of Rome's advanced legal system when we look at the Apostle Paul's journeys. Whenever he's imprisoned, one of the things that he does is he appeals to his Roman citizenship because it protected him. Uh, Roman law protected its citizens. It guaranteed due process and legitimate hearings. And so when I look at Pontius Pilate, I don't see a prototypical bad guy. What I see is an irreligious person 
who believes that power and money make the man, and he is navigating the waters of power and money for the purpose of gaining more of each. I don't want to take away from his cowardliness, from his wickedness, from his conduct that should foster no sympathy from us, but on the other hand, I don't want us to miss that we are a lot more like Pilate than we are like Jesus. Pilate wasn't extra sinful. He was just godless. And we live in a world full of people who are godless and trying to figure out how to navigate a world where nothing really matters except for how we rank according to other people. And so I was talking to Micah Edmondson earlier this week about uh, he pastors our Koinonia location in the Bordeaux neighborhood and uh, we were talking about Pontius Pilate on all of this happening. <laughs> and Micah said, you know, Pilate said, uh, you know, this, day, this would have been a day that Pilate would, would say, I didn't show up to work trying to get in the Bible today. I just showed up to work trying to get through the day so I could go home at the end of it. But he get, things get complicated for him fast. Because when the chief priests charge Jesus, they charge him in a way that manipulates Pilate. Because what they do is they say that Jesus is misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. This is what Luke 23 says. They say Jesus is misleading our nation. He's forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ a king. If Pilate didn't condemn a Jew who was claiming to be a king, then John 19 tells us he would be no friend of Caesar's. You see, they're, they're working him. The religious leaders are working Pilate. They're saying our charge against him is he's claiming to be king and he's telling us to have disregard for you. What are you going to do about that, you who answers to Caesar? Because there was only one king, and that was Caesar. And so Pilate's job was to enforce that. His job was to enforce that rule, the suggestion of disloyalty to Caesar, together with Pilate's already troubled history in leading the Jewish people and governing them, could cost him every ounce of favor that he might build in the eyes of his superiors. If Pilate is wanting to rise through the organization... It's going to be very hard for him to do that if the people above him look at him and say, the people that you govern and rule over, they hate you. You don't do, you don't, you don't do a good job of leading the people who are supposed to report to you. And so he's in this place where he can't ignore the charges. But Jesus is really nothing to him. Jesus to Pilate is just another guy who's caught up in something that really has nothing to do with Rome either. It's a quibble, he thinks, between the religious people. And so this trial that he's going into, he's like, okay, it's a small price to pay to keep my loyalty from being called into question publicly. What would you have done if it was you? I'm asking us to just imagine. Imagine that you're, you're, you don't really have an allegiance to the God of the Bible. Imagine that you don't really have any skin in the game when it comes to the people of Israel. 
but you're trying to rise in power in this nation where you have to be ruthless and you have to be shrewd and you have to be consistent and you might be executed at any moment anyway. That's how Rome was. And he's trying to do this. What would you have done? John, John's gospel gives us a, a lot of context around this as well. And I'm going to read some passages from that um, because John's gospel tells us what Pilate did. And it really, it's some first rate theater that's happening. So I'm going to read, this is actually from John 18, 33 to 9, 1. It says this, so Pilate entered his headquarters again, and he called Jesus to him, and he said, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? We'll unpack that in a minute, but that's a um, shrewd. And Pilate answered him, am I a Jew? At your own nation, and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Do you see how many times right there he said, my kingdom? Yikes. Then Pilate said, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born and have come into this world, to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? So, Jesus asks, so Pilate asks Jesus if he's, if he's the king of the Jews, and Jesus highlights the absurdity of that moment by saying, did somebody tell you that I was the king of the Jews? And the reason that it's highlighting the absurdity is because there is nothing that Pilate could have observed that would suggest that Jesus was a king. He was handed over by his own people, all of his disciples and followers have scattered, and so he is there alone, and not one of the crimes that he's being accused of is demonstrable. So when Pilate says, are you a king? Jesus is saying, look at us. I have no followers. My own people have handed me over to you. Do I look like a king? Like you're asking? Pilate doesn't like the the way Jesus is regarding himself as a peer in this discussion. And so he nips that in the bud by saying, look, it was your own people who handed you over. What did you do? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If I were leading a band of rebels, they'd be fighting for me right now. So this is something Pilate has to determine. He has to determine, is Jesus a rebel aspiring to be a king? Is he a threat to Rome? Is he a threat to national security? When you look at Jesus' interactions in the scriptures with Romans, what do you see? Let me give you just a couple places where we see this. In Luke 7, a centurion comes to Jesus and says, my servant has died. And Jesus raises the centurion's servant. In Matthew 22, Jesus tells the Jewish people it's right for them to pay taxes to Caesar. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And then in Luke 22, when he's arrested, Peter cuts off a soldier's ear, and Jesus rebukes Peter for doing that, and then he heals the man right on the spot. In other words, Jesus' conduct 
toward Rome has been redemptive and it's been gracious. But his reply to Pilate is complicated. Now, one of the things we've said a number of times in these, in these sermons, particularly on the passion narrative, is we go back to this statement that Jesus made in John 10 where he says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down. And I alone have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. And one of the things that we've said is we can test this claim. Is he having his life taken from him or is he laying it down? Here's another place where he is laying it down. He is laying it down. So his reply to Pilate is, is complex because he denies there's a rebellion coming. And yet, on the other hand, he says, but I am a king of a kingdom. It's just not a kingdom of this world. And so to clarify, Pilate says, so you are a king. Now, here's a moment. All Pilate wants is for Jesus to say it's a misunderstanding. It's not a king like you need to worry about. It's even, it's kind of a metaphor, really. It's not even really a a kingdom, it's, you know, it's just, you see, it's just a quibble between religious people over theological things, and it doesn't really have any, this is his moment. Pilate is saying, so you're a king, tell me. And Jesus could just walk through the door. He could walk through the door to freedom right now. Instead, what he says is, let me tell you why I was born and why I'm here. I'm here to bear witness to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth listens to me. Everyone who is interested in the truth regards me as the authority on the truth, Pilate. Understand, what Jesus is saying to Pilate is he's saying, I am a king. And not only am I a king, but this kingdom that I'm king over is higher than the one you belong to, Pilate. The implication there being... Jesus is a greater king than Caesar. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down. That's what he's saying. And then he goes on to say he was born to rule a kingdom that will outlast the Roman world, suggesting that whatever happens to him at the hands of Rome or the mob outside will really have no bearing on his authority as king over his kingdom. So Jesus is saying, my reign is one of truth, the absence of which has led to this whole kangaroo court that he's in. But do you see what Jesus is doing to Pilate, who showed up for work not wanting to be in the Bible that day? He is not not only upholding the title of king, and not only is he asserting that his kingdom is greater and will last longer than Rome, but he is now also testing Pilate himself, saying, everyone who is on the side of truth listens to me. Pilate, will you listen? Will Pilate care about what's true? Or will he only care about retaining his position as he aspires to rise through the ranks? Even if Pilate doesn't accept Jesus as the truth, Jesus is calling Pilate to at least admit that this trial isn't about truth for him. 
nor is it about truth for the mob outside. And Pilate responds, what is truth? Dismissively. And he doesn't wait for an answer. He just asks the question and leave. He storms out to address the mob as if truth cannot be known. But beloved, eternity is in that question. What is truth? Salvation is in that question. What is truth? The purpose and meaning of life is in that question. What is truth? What level of despair must we live in when our starting point is that there is no knowable truth. I mean, picture the room. Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea, is in a room with the second person of the Blessed Trinity taken on flesh, asking the question, what is truth? And then leaves without caring to hear the one who is the way, the truth, and the life respond. It's a missed opportunity, but he's unaware. He's unaware. The truth for Pilate is that he has to play a game. He has to play his political cards, and he has to play them well. And he has this supposed rebel with no followers who's in front of him going on about ruling over a kingdom that is not of this world. Jesus is no threat to Rome, so Pilate says to the crowd, I find no basis for your charges against him, but the mob won't have it. And so he tries again. This is from John 19, 9 through 12. This is another moment when Pilate is trying to just say to Jesus, give me the magic words and this is all over. He entered his his headquarters again and he said to Jesus, where are you from? And Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you? And the authority to crucify you? Then Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And from then on, this is John 19, 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If You release him, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. That's just dirty, isn't it? But this is not about truth for them. So politics and the fear of man are why Pilate didn't free Jesus. But why Pilate couldn't free Jesus is another matter. Many times in Scripture, people urge Jesus to say something, to de-escalate something that he had said that was inflammatory. One example of this is during the triumphal entry in Luke 19, when Jesus is riding in and people are calling Jesus, treating him like a king, like he's riding in a coronation parade, and they're, they're saying, Hosanna, save us now. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they come to him and they say, you got to stop. you got to tell them to stop. They need to be quiet. It's Passover week. Rome is listening. We can't have any of our people claiming one of our own is a king. We need to shut this down. And Jesus says, no. If, if they don't praise me, the rocks and the trees will cry out. Here's another place where Pilate 
wants Jesus to answer the charges against him. Look, they're, they're, they're paper thin. You know it, I know it, the mob knows it. Defend yourself. All you need to do is defend yourself. Don't you realize that I can free you? I can set you free. You can walk out of here, and this is over. If Jesus would just give Pilate something to work with, Pilate could find a way to release him. They could all get on with their lives. Didn't Jesus realize this? And again, Jesus won't do it. Why? That's the question, isn't it? Is Pilate the one who's seeing this clearly? Or is Jesus? Jesus answers Pilate and he says, you wouldn't have any power over me if it wasn't given to you by my father. In a very real sense, he's telling Pilate, all of the power that you possess, I gave to you. That's strong. And that's certainly not what you say to the governor who is trying to set you free if you would just cooperate. But let those words wash over you for a minute. The Greek words that Jesus used here for the power, you would have no power, is a word that means legitimate authority. You would have no legitimate authority at all if it wasn't given to you, if you weren't providentially placed in the position that you're in right now. It's an incredible statement. Brought in as a prisoner, Jesus quickly assumes the posture of authority in the moment, and he's telling Pilate, you don't see. You don't see things clearly. What doesn't he see clearly? Well, when Pilate makes the claim, first of all, that he has the power to release or to crucify Jesus, he's making a very weighty doctrinal assertion. That is a theologically weighted thing to say. I have authority to release you. Does he have the power to stop what's happening? It's deep theological waters, but he's raising a point we need to tangle with. It appears... That if only Jesus said the right words, Pilate could end the kangaroo court. But there are no if-onlys. There's only what is. And while Pilate can imagine a host of possibilities, there will only be one outcome here. And the question is, is that outcome going to reside with Pilate's will? Asking on our own behalf, is there really any outcome that resides with the authority of our own will. How many sovereign wills can there be? An impatient Pilate is confounded as to why, why won't this man who is inching closer to his own death every minute take the chance that I am giving him to defend himself? Just walk through the door. I've opened it, just walk through it. But he won't defend himself. Why? Here's the good news. He won't defend himself because he is utterly defendable. Pilate is right that there is no charge that can be brought against him. But it isn't for his own transgression that he means to die. Has Jesus broken any laws? No. Have we? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We've all broken God's law. We've sinned against him. And Romans 6 tells us the wages of sin is death. And so Christ stands before Pilate because he means to die. Not to satisfy the mob outside, but to take upon himself the sins of the world. 
Jesus means to drink the cup of the full measure of God's wrath toward your sin and mine. This isn't Pilate's show. Jesus remains silent for you. Jesus didn't answer Pilate for you. That's why. For every secret sin, for every personal failing, for every broken heart, for every desperate ambition to prove your worth, for every confession of allegiance to another king, for all this, he kept silent before his accusers. He became the convict for our guilt and our sin so that we would never be condemned because God is a just God. And if he accepts the payment that Jesus makes on our behalf for our sin, which is made perfectly and completely, it would be unjust for him to ever demand a second payment. The justice of God is at work. Jesus became the convict for our guilt and sin so that we would be righteous in the sight of God. We should learn from Pilate. We should learn from Pilate how easily blind to the truth we can be. And we should pray for humanity. We should pray for humility. We should pray for a world that behaves as Pilate does. He says, it's really a godless scenario, and all that really exists for me is to climb, and to climb as high as I can go. We should pray for humility there, because the truth is not a situation. It's a person. It's Christ Jesus the Lord. And he did not turn away from the horror awaiting him, but followed through with a death that for those whose faith in him was in their place. Not because it was the chief priest's will. Not because it was Pontius Pilate's will. But Jesus endured the cross because it was the Father's will that you might be saved. May he open our eyes that we may not be blind, but see the truth and listen to him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your silence here with Pilate, for remaining silent in the places where you would have been released and for speaking in the places where you would assert your authority over the moment. We thank you for the way that you have called us to rest and to trust in you and your provision for us. Thank you for your mercy and your grace and your kindness. Thank you for this time we've had together in Mark's gospel. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.